Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. As we get into the message this morning, one of the things that happens on Easter is we spend a lot of time reflecting on the events that surround the resurrection. We talk a lot about the characters that are a part of the story, the when and the where it took place and what specifically happened and who played which parts. And, and we talk about the trial and the, the timing of everything and the burial and then the miraculous resurrection. And all of those events are really important. And we're right to reflect on those at this time of year. But I also think that, that we can, when we lean into those really heavy, and we get in a, 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 a spot where we tell the story so often, and it's so familiar to us, that our head is really engaged with the facts. But I think sometimes our heart is left wanting a little more. And so I want to challenge us to kind of engage our heart in the Easter story this morning by asking a really important question. Why? Why would Jesus do this? I mean, we can believe the story and the historical accuracy of the events, and we can have it in our head, but but really in our heart, like why? Why would somebody give his life? Why would someone give his one and only son. And so we're going to lean into that this morning and see if we can't grapple a little bit with what exactly what exactly was Jesus up to? How much did God love us that he would send his son, that Jesus would make the sacrifice that he made for us? And when we look at the depth of his love, some of the stuff that sticks out to us is one thing is it cost him a lot, right? Like, it, like everything to the point where a, a guy like Paul would later reflect on how much Jesus gave up. And he would write these words to a church in Ephesus. He said in Ephesians 5, 2, he says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And so his love was so strong for us that he was willing to give up not just his conveniences or some of the niceties of life, but like everything. He was willing to give his entire life for us and die, and not just in a, a quick, painless way, but in a really horrific, painful, and embarrassing way. Not only did did Christ pay a tremendous price to love us the way that he did, but but he also he also loved people that didn't deserve it. The scriptures talk about this in Romans 5 7. It says now most people would be willing to die for an upright person though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Like, you have to read that and understand this is not a regular kind of love. Like, the best of us in this room, on our best day, in the right circumstances, may be willing to give our life up to save someone else. Maybe to, in exchange for like a, the innocent child being able to, to live or survive or something. But, but to think about giving your life up for someone who's actually your enemy. That's not human kind of love. It goes beyond what we can honestly even imagine most of the time. 
we also see the way that Christ loved us in not, not only that he was willing to make a way for our sins to be forgiven so that we could have eternity in heaven, like ultimate relationship forever with him and God, not only that, but what he was willing to offer to us here and now as kingdom citizens. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 3.21. He says, don't boast about following a particular human leader for everything belongs to you whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and the future, everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. So Paul is reminding these believers in Corinth, like it's not about who you follow. It's not about who uh, discipled you or who baptized you. He's got people over here going like, man, me and, me and Paul are so tight because Paul baptized me. He's like, oh yeah, well, I've been so close with Peter ever since I met him. Like I haven't left his side. I've never even missed one of his sermons, right? And, and we as Christians get into the same thing. We get around each other and we whip out our little Christian resumes and, and we start talking about who have we seen and whose church have we been in and what pastor have we seen and what band have we got an autograph by and, right, like we... We kind of talk a lot about like this. We're sort of like going, here's where I'm at in the kingdom. Like I, I'm this far in or I'm this far in or, or I'm this committed. And Paul's over here going like, I don't know if you guys recognize this or not, but you actually got invited into the family, adopted as heirs with Christ. And while y'all are over here talking about who gets to play with what toys, God already said it's all yours. You get it all. He gave it all. It reminds me of the prodigal son, right? The younger son goes off, he comes back, and when he comes back, there's this great celebration because his dad is so grateful to see him that he kills a fattened calf, he throws a huge party, he's so thankful that his son that was lost is home, and where's the older brother in the story? The older brother's out in the field doing what? Getting a little pout on, right? He's getting a little anger stirred up, he's, he's festering up a good mad why is he mad? He's mad because he thinks his dad was holding out on him. Like, wait a minute, this is not fair. Look at what he got. He's such a knucklehead. He went off and behaved badly, and now you're going to reward him. And, and, and the father says something to him that I think is really good for us to remember. In Luke 15, 31, the father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. These are the kind of things that are good to remind us the way God loves us. Like he has this incredible generosity towards us. Even now, here in the kingdom, everything was yours. Like we're with him. But there's something even more when we think about the way Jesus loved us. There's something even more. It's, it's hard when we're trying to wrap our mind around exactly how deep and wide and amazing the love of Jesus is. We think about how much it cost him. We think about how uh, much he was willing to love people that didn't deserve it and hadn't even picked to follow him or chosen him yet. We think about what he gives us in abundance. But beyond that, there's something that we need to really look at. And I think it's like a, a benchmark quality of exactly how much someone can love you. And the, the quality is how free is that love? How free is it? When you think about it, like if somebody does something good for you and as they're doing that good thing for you, you come to find out that like somebody paid them to do the nice thing for you. All of a sudden you're like, yeah, I mean, 
Not, it doesn't feel that great anymore. Like, or they're being coerced or pressured to do it, or they're doing a good deed, or they're loving you and being kind to you, but really you find out it's because of what they were going to get out of it. And so I would ask you this question, like when, when somebody does something good for you, do you, uh, do you feel more loved by them if they're doing it begrudgingly or gladly? And I think that's something that we can all kind of relate to. And I, and I think it's probably no surprise to anybody in the room that probably most of us would say, we feel more loved when people are loving us gladly, not under compulsion, not begrudgingly, not because they have to. The truth is, I think that all of us would agree that the more willing and the more glad and the more free uh, your love for others is, especially if it's costly, the, the more amazing it is. The deeper it is, the more profound it is, the more sincere it is. And here's the thing, that's exactly how it is with Jesus. This is how Jesus loves us. We get to see and understand how much he loves us when we recognize and wrestle with exactly how free he was to do what he did. I want to look at a passage where Jesus sort of says in his own words, some things that are really important for us to remember this particular weekend. Take a look at what Jesus says in John chapter 10. He says, in John chapter 10, starting in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too, and they're not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I can take it back again. No one takes my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. So here's what's so profound about this statement. Like, I I think everybody should, in your Bibles, in your notes, like John 10, verse 18 that needs to be a verse that really sinks into your heart. You hear Jesus saying, listen, nobody can take my life from me. Nobody can take my life from me. I choose when and where and how. That was the plan with my father, right? And now maybe if you're hearing this in light of the whole Easter story and you're a real right brain logical person, Maybe you're just all heart and you're like, yeah, man, I'm with you. And maybe you're more head and you're like, okay, so Jesus said, nobody can take my life from me, but I hate to tell you, um, the way this story goes, somebody took his life from him. Did you not know what Judas did? Did you not know what the mob that cried crucify him? They seemed to get their way. Didn't you see the things that happened to him when the soldiers arrested him and, and, bound him and like did you not notice what happened like it sure sounds a lot like people actually took his life from him and here's what you need to hear everywhere in this story where it looks like Jesus was trapped where it looks like Jesus was cornered where it looks like he was stuck and he didn't have a way out he did he wasn't stuck he wasn't cornered He wasn't trapped. He was choosing. He was embracing. He was walking into hard things because he had the choice 
to walk into those hard things, when and where and how he did. And, and, and that still may be sitting with you a little bit like, oh, I don't know, that's hard to believe, right? Like, is that really true that he wasn't forced? It looks like he was forced. I want to walk into some scripture with you. Because it's important that we understand that he wasn't trapped. That what Jesus said in John 10, that nobody can take my life from me, I lay it down when I want, I can pick it up when I want, he wasn't lying. You may not know it, but you've probably read some examples that testify to this and maybe just didn't even know you were reading them. In Luke chapter 4, there's a story where Jesus goes to a synagogue, and in the synagogue, he... Uh, reads a scroll, and then as he reads the scroll, that's the reading for the day, he sits down, and everybody sort of looks at him like, all right, well, what's the explanation? And he says, well, the explanation for the reading is, uh, it basically says, it's been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, everything I just read about the Messiah, yeah, that just happened, I'm actually him. Well, that didn't go over so well, right? And so they get upset and there's rumbling. And so here's what happens. It says, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious, jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill of which uh, the town was built. And they intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now you may have read that at some time in your life. And when you read it, you went, whoa, that's weird. How did he do that? I don't understand. And, and you're sort of just like, let that one slide to that must just be a Jesus thing. But you never connected the dots that what Jesus was doing is he was, he was living out what he had already said in John 10. No one can take my life from me. I lay it down. I choose when I choose where. The father and I have a plan, and the plan didn't entail some guys hucking him off a cliff. And so he walks back through. Another time, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and everything from Jerusalem is down. So everything is uphill to Jerusalem, and it's a little bit like Pullman. Everything's uphill, right? And so he's on his way to Jerusalem, uphill, As he's going, some Pharisees come to him, and they are trying to warn him that the king, Herod, who is in Jerusalem, wants to kill Jesus, and the word is out. I'm looking for you, right? And and they're trying to warn him. They say this to him in Luke chapter 13, verse 31. It says, at that that time, some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. I love this. They're trying to warn him. Like, I don't know if you know this, but there's a king. And the way it works around here, kings sort of do anything they want to do. And this one wants to kill you. You should maybe, like, choose somewhere else to find Airbnb for the weekend, right? Like, don't go to Jerusalem. It's not going to go well for you. Well, in that day, there was a saying among the rabbis. They went something like this. It's better to be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. You getting that one? Hold on. There you go. It's better to be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. And Jesus is sort of saying, like, listen, you've got the lion of Judah over here, and, and you got some little fox whimpering threats at me. Um, why don't you go tell him to zip it? It's not my time. I've got work to do. I'm going to keep at what God has planned for me to do. I lay my life down when I want, where I want. I'm not going to be coerced or threatened by some little fox. There's another time 
we're real familiar with in the Garden of Gethsemane when the mob comes to arrest Jesus on this night where he's betrayed. And the, the mob comes up to him. Peter responds, hacks the guy's ear off. Um, it seemed like it was going to get pretty wild there for a minute. And then Jesus intercedes, right? He puts the big pause button on everything. Time out. This is not the way it's supposed to go. And look at how he responds to that. Matthew twenty six fifty two. he says, put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. Peter, stop. I lay my life down. These guys right here, I know you think. I know you think they're here taking it from me. Time out. I lay my life down. I choose when. I choose where. He's telling Peter, I'm embracing this, right? Like, I'm, I'm working my love for you out here, Peter, and to everybody else. He's not, this isn't some accidental mob violence. This is me loving you. And he's like, don't get in the way. It all brings us back to why Easter is such a big deal for us. Why it matters so much that we stop and pause and think about the things that happened on this this fateful time in history. Yes, we remember the events. We remember the mob. We remember Judas. We remember the trial in the middle of the night and the false accusers and all of the events and the tomb and the resurrection. But in the midst of remembering all of those events, I think it's so important that we don't forget the heart of our risen Savior and what was going on with him, why he was doing what he was doing. If Jesus could say to us, I think now even still, he would say something like this, like, I I meant it. I was free. You see how free I am, right? You see how much power and authority I have. I was able to avoid it. I have the power to take up my life out of the grave. I could have fought back. I could have avoided the cross. But know this. I did what I did because I chose to. I wasn't caught. I wasn't cornered. And I'm alive now to show you how much I love you. Willingly becoming your sacrifice so that through me you have a way for your sins to be forgiven I think it's pretty fitting that God gives us the same kind of freedom that he gave his son freedom to choose freedom to walk out the plan the way he saw fit when and where and how God does the same thing with us. He gives us freedom to choose how to walk out our life. Even if it means not choosing him, he gives you that freedom. He gives us the freedom to choose if we want to follow him, if we want to choose to put our life first, if we want to just kind of just go on and be the king of our own life, sit on our own throne, call our own shots, do what makes us feel good. He gives us the freedom to chase a career. He gives us the the freedom to chase relationship as the most important thing or the magic amount of money that you're going to have in your bank account that someday will tell you you're safe and secure and everything's going to be okay. Like he, he gives you options. But he also gives us his son. He gives us the option to choose him as our king, his plan 
as the best plan. It, it reminds me of the circumstances with Joshua and Moses and the Israelites as they're about to go in the promised land. Moses had led the Israelites for like 40 years in the desert, right? And they had God with them. By, by day with a cloud, by night with fire, manna, quail, all this stuff. There was no doubt that God was with them. And yet when they came to the promised land and, the, and they passed the baton of leadership to Joshua, Joshua looks at all of these people and he has this sort of brave heart speech for them. It's a little bit of one of those moments where it's like, hey, we're about to do something and I need to make sure all of you need to realize right now, it's time to choose again. Whom will you follow? It's time to choose who are you going to follow. This is how he says it to him. He says, fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors uh, worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or uh, would it be the gods of the Amorites in the land that you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.